Good morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 66. Psalm 66. Let me also welcome you if you're watching online. I know we have some people traveling and under the weather and different things. So we always know, just so as you find your place, a couple of things to our, um, to our guests. First, we're glad you're here. The second is you, you always know where we're going to be next week. We'll just be in the next chapter of wherever we're at or the next verses. And so we're in 66 today. Uh, we'll be in 67 next week. And then we will discuss in our small groups that meet to, even in the evenings tonight and throughout the week the text. That's the way we do things. And also as we respond to worship at the end, we always every week celebrate communion. And uh, so... Stand with me to your to your feet as we read God's word. We're not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read the first seven verses, then I'm going to skip down to verse 16. But we'll look at all of them this morning. Psalm 66, beginning at verse one: Shout for joy to God, all the earth! Sing the glory of His name! Give to Him glorious praise! Say to God, How awesome are Your deeds! So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There we did rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Verse 16. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praises was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because He has not rejected my prayer or removed His steadfast love from me. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, we love Your Word. We are here because we love it. We are here because it is your word that brings your people life and encouragement. It challenges us. It reorients us. It corrects us. It encourages us. Gives us instructions for what we are supposed to do tomorrow. And so, Lord, we ask for your help. For your Lord, we've all had busy weeks of, and that looked different in all of our lives. But, Lord, we have gathered as the redeemed on the first day of the week, to remember that your Son is the resurrection and the life. And we are here because you have sustained us another week so that we may give you glory. And we will not keep our mouths shut with so great a God and so great a Jesus and so great a Holy Spirit that indwells us, that equips us for every good work. Equip us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Micah was 
saying in our, even in worship, even how we were singing this morning. Last week, he, he told us about how God creates and how he, how he controls everything and how he calms everything, both in nature that he created, the inanimate nature, but also, as we'll look at more this week, mankind. When it comes to worship, mankind is the only one that snubs its nose in the face of the Almighty because everything else he created worships without fail. And so what we're looking at this morning, what we want to put our fingers on is the understanding that worship is a testimony and an invitation. It is a testimony and an invitation. Have you... Have you ever, you just try this one time. No, don't really try it because gas is like $3 a gallon. And you, Turn your funnel upside down one time and try to put gasoline in your lawnmower. Right? That's the, picture that image, this upside down funnel. This is, this is what worship can look like in our life. Worship can look like an upside down funnel. Life, sin, and selfishness. Flips our funnels upside down, as it were. And, and when the funnel is right side up, that's what we're going to see. The, the message teaches us what our focus will be when our worship is right. And so what Pastor Micah showed us last week is the foundation of this God who is good. The God who creates, that calms, that comforts, that controls God in His might. But God in His grace, this is the God that we worship. Uh, the, the, the message is got a layout like a funnel where we have the nations, the people of God, and then ourselves. If you flip that thing upside down, your worship becomes about you. Listen to this, uh. A right view of God, that is Psalm 65, leads to a deep gratefulness that bubbles over unto an unstoppable invitation for others to praise Him. And then it, it bubbles over, secondly, for the people of God to praise Him. And then we pray to God that He would increase our individual praise for all for the glory of God. The, our funnels look like the neighbors and the nations, the church and then ourselves. Derek Kidner says it this way, the flow of this text is God of all, God of many, and God of one. Good question that Micah asked last week, is your worry louder than your worship? We, we said we could put anything in there, our anxiety louder than our worship, our depression louder than our worship, our relational conflict, or our relational bliss, <laughs> Anything can be put in there. And when, it, when that happens, what we are saying, the imagery this morning, is that our funnels get turned upside down. And all of life becomes to be about ourselves. Worship, you see, your main idea. Worship, you see, is meant to be a testimony to the nations and to the church as he uses our grace-filled lives. To bring glory to his name. So we saw an overlap here between Psalm 65 and 66. Worship is a testimony. Testimony is our word today. Is a testimony of all creation. We see a lot of come ands in the text today. Come and worship. 
Look at verse 1 and 2. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. We have this all the earth. That sounds like what, they, what Psalm 65 was teaching us. All creation worships God. But, but worship, you see, is not something that we're simply supposed to be in our heart. Worship is an oral activity. It is a verbal activity. It is meant to be placed on display. True worship can't be contained, and true worship is contagious. Notice the words here. They're all imperatives. Shout, sing, give, say. They're all plural. They're pointing toward the earth. That is, in this text, the children of man, the Gentiles... Got any, any, any 100% Jewish people in the room? The text is saying, singing aloud because you need to be saved. The Gentiles, we must be saved. Public worship is, is an emotional worship. The psalmist says, when you understand who God is, you can't help but sing. You can't help but worship. And when you worship, it is a verbal thing. But it is not merely an expression of your individual emotions, lest it become about you. Worship is not about you. Worship is about a proper response to God. And the more you know Him, the more you can worship Him in spirit and in truth. If we do not know God... We just come to God because we want something from God. We may find that we are worshiping a God of our own making. Worship is about God. It's about bringing all everything, including our emotions, and centering on Him. So Psalm 65 then is the fuel that fuels this radically God-centered worship that invites all of creation to praise Him. Spurgeon, I got a couple of quotes from him this morning in here. says this, Devotion, that is true worship, unless it is resolutely directed to the Lord, is no better than whistling to the wind. In this sense, brothers and sisters, worship is meant to be inclusive. In other words, I mean by that not the way the world defines inclusive, but the way the Bible demonstrates it here is that we are supposed to invite everyone without distinction. There is a general call. There is a clarion call that we invite all people to worship. We're not like these hate groups around here that says because of the color of your skin, you get in. That was what the Jewish people fell into when they got, went into captivity and after They begin to despise the Gentiles when we see here in the Psalms, in the Old Testament, that both Abraham and David understood the missiology of our gospel is it is supposed to go to the nations. And listen, if they wouldn't have understood it, we wouldn't even have the gospel. That was the purpose all along. Worship, listen, this this is important to understand. There's a distinction here. Worship includes all, but somebody can stand in awe and not be a true worshiper. Worship includes all, but we can see 
cases and he gives them to us here in this text. That it's possible, matter of fact, look at verse 3. It says, say to God, how awesome are your deeds, so great is your power, that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sing praises to you. So there is a type of fear in verse 3, this cringing that is distinct that is in verses 4, 5, and 6. In other words, when you look at the Old Testament, we studied through Joshua, we saw this. When, when, the, when the Israel came across on dry land and then the Egyptians got drowned, their bodies began to wash up on shore. Uh, all the people in Jericho and the Canaanites, they were all sitting there going, man... Did you see that? That water stopped. It not only stopped, it separated. And all them people came walking over. And then about the time they got over there, the waters came back and drowned. Did you see them? We, we, we were picking up bodies for days. Question. Is that worship? Oh, it was all. But here's what we know because the story proves it out. That none of those people in Jericho saved one. And none of those people in the other countries came waving a white flag and say, Hey, we saw what your God did and we're going to worship Him. He's God's going to be our God. No. Romans 1.21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish heart were hardened. They're all only hardened their heart because they did not bow the knee. There's a difference between being liking a type of worship or even liking godly people and bowing the knee to the King of Kings. Worship is an invitation to come and see. Verse 5. His awesome deeds. Look at that. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in His deeds. Notice this. Toward the children of man. This, was, this, this is connected to Psalm 65, verse 5, that we saw last week. It says, by awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. Come and see. That means walk around and examine things. That's what he's inviting the children of man to do. Y'all come and see. But notice this. What he's inviting them to see is the deeds, the awesome deeds that are done in our life. So he's doing awesome deeds in your life as, as children of God so that the nations may come and see. That's important. Here's what we're oftentimes missing this morning. That whether it's your sufferings or your victories, they aren't ultimately about you. They are about people that God has ordained to watch you. They're invited to come and see what God is doing in our life. And so that's why we pray and that's why we expect and that's why we climb on the wall and wait for the Lord to come and answer us. Because when he answers us, we're going to give glory to God. And when we give glory to God, the people that are watching are going to see. That's what he's saying. Invite the nations. You see what happens when you get your funnel upside down? 
When you listen to some of this music sometimes, if you don't get your foundation right, if you don't get Psalm 65 right and you listen to even Christian radio, it'll just make you all about you. Me, me, I, I, me, me, I, I. Just notice it next week when you listen to good music, Christian music. You got to get your God right. That's why you need to read the Puritans. You need to read some of them dead guys. You need to listen to some of their songs and their prayers because they're radically God-centered. It's not about us. Not even our suffering's about us. He says, His awesome and His deliverance, verse 6. Look at, look at who he's talking about. He turned sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him. So he's, he's doing awesome deeds for the benefit of the children of man. That's the nations. But who is he doing the work with? God's people. It was the Jewish people who walked on dry land. It was them who worshipped God when they got to the other side. And set up, as it were, their Ebenezer, their rock of remembrance. This is the pattern we see through Scripture. That God acts in our life for the benefit of the nations. For the benefit of your neighbors. For the benefit of your lost family members. For the benefit of your children that aren't saved yet. He he works in our life. And so our worship. Is to be like our Lord so that when they look on us, they may see the glory of God put on active display. Our God is delivering us. Our God is protecting us. Notice the flow. Remember, these verse, the verse numbers is just here for our benefit so that we can find them. They weren't, they weren't in the original text. The end of verse 6, you see that says, There did we rejoice in him, comma, there's not a period there. It's not, this is not a separate thought. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. There's no comma here. We rejoice. Why? Because he rules. How? By his might. By his might. There we are. Right back in Psalm 65 again at the base. That's what drives our worship. Living under the lordship of Jesus Christ is how we invite our neighbors to worship him. There is no such thing as a Christianity where you invite Jesus to be your savior and later on he becomes your lord. He is lord now or he is not lord at all because that's how we live. We live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And this is part of our testimony to a watching world. Worship is designed to be a public invitation to the nations. It's also designed to be a testimony to the church. So there's our funnel. That's the biggest part of the funnel, by the way. Then we come to the church. Verse 8 to 12. Come and bless. Verse 8. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. This is a call for God's people, as they already know that the nations and the neighbors are watching us to erupt in praise because of who God is, because of what God has done, because of what we know God will do. But this is the distinction. 
We call all people to worship him. But God's people can praise him like no one else can. Like the trees can't. That's what makes it different. The trees never fail to worship him. The mountains don't. The ocean don't. It always do exactly what God designed it to do. But we are designed in the image of God to praise him. We can praise God in a distinct way. Again, Spurgeon said, first visited by his love, you should be the foremost in his praise. He has set his love on you. And that should bring us to praise. He set his love on the church. There are no such thing as people that says, oh, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Then you hate Jesus. Do you hear it? That's what the Bible says. When you were saved, you were saved into Christ, and you were saved into his church, and you can't be saved into one without the other. That's what it means to be saved. This draws his people to worship. God has set his love on me personally, but he has set his love on his church, and he works specifically to his church to carry out the mission of God. See, only God's people can worship him in every situation of life. Why? Look at verse 9. It says, He has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. That means you're alive today. We're alive today. We went to an adoption banquet. The guy mentioned this. Who, who knows what God has kept you from over the last 48 to 72 hours? You don't know. God's preserving grace has been on your life, all of your life. It's why you're still here today. That's why that's what he's reminding Israel. You have been preserved. This seed, capital S, has been preserved through you. God preserved Abraham and Joseph and Esther and all of them because they were carrying the seed that would be Christ, that would be the redemption of the nations. That's a big picture, God. That's your God. But don't lose that. He is the one we worship. The God that calls the nations. The God that bought the church. And brings us into it. We declare. This is what it's teaching us. We, we need to declare these truths to each other. That's why we gather today. You're, you're here for that reason. Whether you're conscious of it or not, it, Christians just have to gather, even over threat of persecution. Only God's people count trials as worship opportunities. That sounds really weird. You know, I, I would admit it to someone who's not saved. I say that sounds sort of strange. We count trials as worship opportunities. Look at verse 10 to 12. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet, you have brought us to a place of abundance. Do you see it? Look at all those words. Tested, tried, brought into, crushed. Led through fire, led through water. All of it's laid at God's feet. Don't have to have no excuse for that. 
Why? Because he's got a purpose. Listen to Job. Job 23 and verse 10. This is Job's replying to God. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. That's God. There's a yet here. This is, your, this is our but God of Ephesians 2 right here again all through Scripture. Verse 12, you see it? Yet. Yet. All those things happened. Yes, they did. You can make a list like that too, couldn't you? This with this and this and this. It would be a long list for all of us. Yet. God has brought us to a place of abundance. Yes, there was the wilderness. But yes, there was the promised land of milk and honey. That's what he's reminding them. And both were essential. The way to heaven is through suffering. That is the narrow way, and that is the only way. With patience, we will endure present gloom, is a quote. With patience, we will endure present gloom, for the morning is coming. You see, in this battle called life, a rightly oriented funnel understands we exist and go through the things we go through to call the nations and our neighbors and even our family to worship God. But we get gathered together so that we can call ourselves and preach the gospel to ourselves to worship God. But then he, he gets very personal with his, with his worship because worship is my testimony to a watching world. Worship is my that's the bottom of the funnel. Worship, is, worship is, is what I do this week. Worship is about my time with God and my obedience, my commitment. Come and obey. It's verse 13 to 15. Notice this commitment. It's a commitment here, personal commitment. It's not a, it's not a call for anybody else. He's saying what he's going to do. Verse 13 I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. You see now? Now he's talking about himself. Jesus was our burnt offering that was given once for all. In, in other words, never attempt to come to God without Jesus. You have no right to come to God without him. It should wonder us who have walked and snubbed our gut nose to the, to the Almighty all of our life why He has not sent us to hell already. And it's only because His mercy, His mercy, and His mercy that we're here today. But we are here today to make much of Christ with whatever we have left. We will come into your house and remember Jesus died once for all. I don't have to pay Him back. I can't pay him back. He offered it for me because he loves me. We come realizing, coming to worship here, realizing both our need and our identity, both our failings and our destiny, that God, through Christ, has spoken a better word, a final word 
over all of it. All of it. I do not have a right to see myself as less than what God has declared me to be. I don't have a right to hold something against myself or anybody else when Christ has already paid for it on the cross. I bring that in here instead of going, I remember how I blew it when I was 30. But praise God for His grace and His mercy that used that anyway and brought me to be a person that I am today. We gather together and that bubbles out of our worship. That remembering that just because I have failed and just because other has failed to me, that's not the last word over me because Jesus has paid it all. As after we that, remember, if you read Psalm 65, it says the same thing at the beginning. He atoned for our sin. And now what? He's saying, going, I'm going to keep my word. I'm making a commitment to him. That which my lips uttered, and my mouth promised when I was in trouble, <laughs> I'm going to do it. You ever promised God something when you was in a really bad bind? <laughs> Just get me out of here. I want to do this again. <laughs> we blew those things out the water about three weeks after we promised it, didn't we? This is what he's saying. I, I called to you, Psalms 18, in my time of distress, and you answered me. I'm going to make a commitment. A commitment to the Lord is not a New Year's resolution. Not a fad diet. It's a determination to be people of the book. It is if you commit to help in the parking lot, to help in the parking lot. Because why? Because we need you? No, because that is your worship. It is commitment if you volunteer to be on the worship team and do production, that you, that you show up when you're supposed to show up. Why? Because we need you? No, because that is your worship. It is to be on time at your workplace. Why? Because they need you? Why? Because it'll make you more money? No! It is because that is your worship. And everybody's watching. And you see this? Worship is a profoundly practical daily thing. And it takes commitment. <laughs> when, you, when you begin to see this, you begin to see how important it is to have a group of people around you. We are committed to keep His Word but we also notice verse 15. We're excited to offer sacrifices. We're excited to offer a sacrifice. Here, here's my point. We don't have to offer burnt offerings anymore, praise the Lord. But we still make offerings. Right? That's what we've been talking about. Our life is an offering. A living sacrifice to Him. Not for our sin, but as a grateful celebration of what Christ has done for us. It's supposed to be. The point of this, this verse 15 is that this sacrifice by nature was costly. Do you see it? Bulls, plural. Goats, plural. This doesn't mean anything to us. But this was this picture. Do you remember when, when David numbered the people? And he wasn't supposed to do that. Remember? God brought judgment on him. He, and, and God began to kill David's people. He was pleading and praying. And it was at a threshing floor that, that God stopped the angel's hand. And he went up to the man that owned the threshing floor. And he, he said, he said I'm gonna, I want to buy this place. I want to I make an altar. And he said, the man said, here, take it. And David said, I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. There's a principle there, brothers, sisters. 
It was only within the last 10 years that I stopped merely making offerings out of my abundance and began to make sacrificial offerings. There's a difference. You see, when you get your funnel right, what begins to come out the bottom of your funnel is things like generosity and gratefulness and service. This is sacrificial. Spurgeon again. This is the last one, I promise. He's just a man. My daughter came in the other day and said, who's, who's that guy sitting on your bookshelf? And I said, he was a bobblehead, you know. I'm sitting there going, that's Spurgeon. I, I shake him anytime I'm not sure what to do. You know, if he says this, I go this way. If he does that, I say, oh, I better not do anything. He said, he who is miserly with God is a wretch indeed. We look at the world and we say, look at how despicable they are. What Spurgeon said should sting that the lack of generosity in, in our lives is proof that our funnels are upside down. Because what would come out of it is generosity when it's right side up. A perfect sac- sacrifice shows this intense love that loves the way we are loved and that serves the way we are served. Come and testify. This is how he ends. He really says, if you look at verse 16, come in here. But here's what David wants to do. He wants to teach. He wants to testify. I wanted you to see that. Verse 16 says, come in here, all you who feared God. Listen, he's still talking about himself. You see it? And I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth and high praises was on my tongue. Those who experience God's mercy have a responsibility to teach other people about it. This is discipleship. Discipleship is worship. Discipleship is the reason you are still here and not with the Lord. It is your mission to help somebody else with a name, follow Jesus. Who is it? Who is it? What's their names? Because if you don't have one with a name, you are not making disciples. You are simply coming to somebody else and learning from them and and understanding it from them. God has told you, if you learn one thing about God, you have a responsibility to teach that to somebody else. This is your worship. And so he ends his psalm. Going to teach you something. Maybe you can call this grammar. Maybe you can call this logic. I don't care what you call it. It's just what the text is teaching. And uh, don't, don't get afraid of words. Words just have definitions. This is a syllogism. It's important. If you want to know how a pastor knows how he gets to his application, I'm, I'm going to show you my, one of our little secrets here. This is called a syllogism. It is a, a form of what the psalmist is doing of deductive reasoning. It has two premises and a conclusion. One's a major premise. One's a minor premise. And from that, he makes a deductive, logical reason. A landing. He lands his plane right there. Notice in verse 18, major premise one. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Major premise is what? 
I didn't cherish sin. You see, sin is inevitable. Cherishing is not. Sin is inevitable in our life. You're going to blow it. You'll probably blow it, most of us, before we get home. Cherishing is not. Psalms 59 One says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that he cannot hear. Behold, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin separates, as as it does in our relationships when we hurt one another. The communication is broken. Intimacy is affected. He said, I didn't cherish sin in my heart. Remember Cain? God told Cain in Genesis 4, I believe it was. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must master it. That's what he's saying. He's, yeah, I sinned, but I didn't cherish sin. Premise 2. I prayed, he listened. Verse 19. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. That's premise two. It's the minor premise. I didn't cherish sin. I prayed, he listened. He answered me. He listened. God listens. He's an active listener. That means he listened with the intention to act. And then we have this unlikely conclusion the the conclusion is unlikely because the major premise is that i didn't cherish sin so you would think the conclusion is something i centered look at me i got more answered prayers than you do because i i didn't cherish no here was here's his conclusion praise god for his grace It's the gospel logic. Blessed be God, verse 20, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Because God is gracious, he didn't reject my prayers. Because God is gracious, he didn't remove his love from me. We praise him because our cries And His mercies still kiss in the evening and birth new mercies in the morning. They kiss in the evening. They birth new mercies in the morning. Why? Because He is faithful and He is gracious. We can praise Him. There's no self-centered logic here. Only grace, grace, God's grace. So what? Is my worship dangerously man-centered? Radically God-centered. We're all people who've lived in America. And so we're affected by this, whether we like it or not. We are affected, and if not, we're not careful. We will be infected by this this upside-down thing, this man-centered worship, the The whole of the American church in general has shifted to this model of attracting people to our church like selling timeshares at the beach only for people to lose interest unless we do something different 
We have to keep people coming because we have to put on a bigger show and we have to offer more programming and, and we have to do it better than a place down the street. Makes pastors burn out and quit because they become program directors instead of shepherds. This is an affront to a holy God who demands to be front and center with nothing even close to being second. This is dangerous. Why? Because it robs God of his first and best. Now I know Malachi is a verse that you've been slapped with most of your life if you've been in the church. <laughs> you know, the offerings are down. The preacher's going to go to Malachi chapter 3 and say, you thief, you know. It's not, you're never going to hear me do that. The point is worship in Malachi 3. The point is worship. The point is what are you bringing to God? Are you offering Him your first and your best because He both deserves it and demands it? We're we're, we're New Testament Christians. We function on generosity. We, we function from the finished work of Jesus Christ and the generosity that that produces. That's all I have to do is present Jesus crucified and resurrected, ruling and reigning, coming again, mighty to save, and God's people will supply all of the need for the work of ministry. I don't have to shame slap them. This is about worship. This is about worship. Worship is about robbing God, that's why man-centered worship is dangerous. It robs God of what he deserves, and it damages the church. How does it damage the church? It makes consumers out of us and not reproducers. It makes us consumers that somebody has to keep feeding us and providing us while we consume and consume and consume. Whereas Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for blessings until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it, so that it will not destroy the few fruit of your soul and your vine and your fields shall not fail to bear, says the Lord. This is what man-centered worship has forgotten. This is not about you. Our Lord promises to bring things. All good things come from Him. So if I seek him first, he takes care of all the rest. That's worship. And a man-centered worship produces a consumer that trusts in himself and what the world and what the church can offer him rather than what he offers up to the Lord. It starves. It starves. It robs. It damages. It starves the spiritual hungry. The spiritual hungry sometimes that go to churches that put on more of a concert than a worship service. It spiritually starves them to death. God has promised that if we worship Him, Malachi 3, 12, then the nations will call you blessed. The nations will. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, Jesus put that spiritual emphasis on it, didn't He? In Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they and they only will be satisfied. True worship. Man-centered worship is dangerous because it robs, because it starves, because it damages. But what is God-centered worship so radical? Well, you merely have to go and you can just think about it in your minds to Acts chapter 2 to see why it's so radical. Because we might say, well, 
church is supposed to not be attractional. Well, of course it is. Of course it is. But here's, here's what we, we offer. The gospel, our life. The gospel, our life. That's what attracts. You say, what's that going to attract? True worshipers. That's what it's going to attract. We see it. Peter preaches, Acts 2, verse 41. 3,000 people were baptized. So 3,000 people repent, put their faith in Jesus Christ because of a sermon where the Spirit fell. It is the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. It attracts true worshipers. It feeds. It feeds God's people through a combined, consistent message that focuses on both the great commandment and the great commission. If you look at Acts 2, 42, that's what they were doing. They were loving each other. They were giving their life. They were spending life together. They were worshiping together. If somebody had a need, they were taking care of it. And, it, and so we see the second benefit of this true God-centered radical worship. Uh, Acts 2, 47 says this, The Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. In other words, true worship is profoundly missional and other-centered. And so I just ask you as we close today, what can we do if we believe that our funnel might be upside down? How can we flip it? Well, all I can say today, and I'll close with this, I just happened to run across the Gospel Coalition and they were interviewing um, these folks um, that ministered to pastors in the church in China, uh, which is probably one of the few places where revival is actually happening. Revival is happening and the church is exploding under severe threat of persecution. Um, and they asked these guys, oh, what is the focus of the church in China that's exploding? What are their... If they had a purpose statement, if you ask any of the churches, what are they going to say? What am I focused on? This is what they said. that Every pastor and every church and their members are focused on. Evangelism, discipleship, leadership developing, church planning. That's why they're exploding. You see it? You see their funnel? What's their, what's their funnel focused on? Getting the gospel out. Who is your one? What are their names? Discipleship. Helping all people to know all that I have commanded you. Trying to help people follow Jesus. That's discipleship. Who is their names? They all have a name. When we see somebody that, that can do production or lead worship or, or that anything in their life that God has given them, we want to see that developed and used. And then we want to see them, them sent out for the sake the gospel. When is the last time you thought about how do we see God's church multiplied? Brothers and sisters, let us give ourselves to these things and God will build his church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you just for this encouraging word, Lord. We are, we are to be worshipers. Lord, you have given us this 
amazing privilege to be your ambassadors, your representatives in this world that we walk through for just a small little piece of time. And so, Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to offer up our lives to you. Lord, if we've never done that before today, Lord, we pray. It's no magic, no magic prayer, no magic card. Pray that people would just repent, put their faith in Jesus Christ. Because you are mighty to save. And Lord, now as your believers, we gather now. Prepare ourselves as we come to the cross and ask for your forgiveness and receive it because we are your children. Lord, we come to the tables now to receive the bread and the cup and we do it as we sing, as we worship. We are active responders to this worship and how we give And how we even receive as we come to the table. We come to the table as a family. We come to the table as a redeemed. We come to these tables as a reminder that there is a greater table that we will one day sit with. You face to face and enjoy you forever. So Lord, may we enjoy this time of worship now. As we respond through song, through verbal praise as we respond respond through our generosity, as we respond through communion with both our Lord and each other. You be worshipped and praised now in Jesus' name. Amen.